Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. The title of the message, I'm going to explain at the very end, but the title of the message is The Exodus of Exodus. The Exodus of Exodus. Now, you can probably guess what book of the Bible we're going to be in. Exodus. Exodus, there you go, right on, there you go. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus, but um, I'll explain a little bit of what the, at the end what the, the title of the message is, but the word Exodus, anybody know what that means? Just real quick, anybody just shout it out to me, anybody? Okay, well we're going to learn something, we're going to go back to the teaching side real quick. Um, Exodus means to leave. It's typically in re- re- referred to like a mass ge- a mass exodus, like mo- like a group of people leaving at one time a place, you know, like the children of Israel leaving Egypt. It was a mass exodus because there was two to three million people that walked out of the nation that day. And so that's kind of what happens in uh, the book of Exodus as well. And so we're going to start in chapter 33, but before we get, or 32, but before we get there, I want to give you a little bit of run in on what's going on from chapter 1 to... 32. I'm not going to go through every one of them. Just clumps, so don't, don't freak out. Um, so chapters 1 through 14, God raises up Moses and his sidekick Aaron. Like if you ever watched The Office, anybody Office people, the television show The Office? Yeah, like Dwight. Like he's not the assistant manager, he's like the assistant to the regional manager. So um, that's kind of what Aaron is to Moses, pop cultural reference. And so Moses, God raises up Moses and his little side guy, his, his number two guy, um, Aaron, and they go in and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And how many plagues, when Pharaoh said no, how many plagues got sent? Ten. Okay, wow, we are teaching today, my bad. Um, so there are ten plagues, and they came one after another to, the chil- to all the people in um, Egypt. The children of Israel were eventually let go when they put the blood on the doorpost, which was called the Passover. They were allowed to go, and on their way out... They've seen all of these miracles that God's done, all these plagues you know, that come on the, the, the nation of Egypt. And, and as they're leaving, the Bible says that the people who lived in Egypt took their jewelry, their necklaces, the women took off their earrings, and handed them to the people of Israel as they were leaving Egypt. They, were, they gave them to them like, hey, a little something-something for your journey, right? Like just they're making sure they've got a little bit of something before they left. God leads them out of Egypt. It's all these miracles. That's chapter 1 through 14. Chapters 15 through 19 is, is uh, the nation of Israel in the, in, the, in the desert. They're running from Egypt. They're trying to, to get to the promised land. And this pillar of like a cloud descends out of the sky and that's what they use to follow as their guide through the through the wilderness at nighttime this cloud dissipates and immediately turns into this giant tall pillar of fire and at nighttime they can see it and they follow it another miracle with the cloud another miracle with the fire and then they get to the red sea and then what happens to the Red Sea? They part it, you know, puts a staff, you know, um, Moses raises his staff, puts it in the water. The water parts. They walk across on dry land, dry ground. Another miracle. All three million of them make it across before the, 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 the armies of Egypt are coming after them. And when they start to, when the armies of Egypt start to 
to cross the Red Sea. The water comes down on them. Another miracle God's done. They're out there and have no food. So God gives them quail and manna from heaven. Like my grandmother didn't teach me how to make her biscuits before she died and was pretty upset with that. But these man, like manna from heaven, like biscuits from grandma were awesome for me. But manna from heaven had to be really good, especially for people who might be in this room or in the middle of a fast. It might sound really good at the moment. Um, but that manna from heaven with quail, God's providing water flowing out of rocks in the middle of the desert, miracle after miracle after miracle. And they get all the way down to chapters 20 through 31. Moses builds this tent, goes away from the people of Israel and goes into it to meet with God. When he walks in there into this tent, this cloud, the presence of God descends on that tent. And when the people see that, they know that Moses is meeting with God. It was such a powerful thing that when Moses started to make his way to the tent of meeting, people would start, start to murmur throughout the nation and they would come out of their tents and stand in reverence as, as Moses would walk. And then when he would go in there, they would kneel down until they couldn't see him anymore. The cloud would descend. Then they would go on with their day. It is like supernatural miracle after supernatural miracle pouring out. And so the last thing that Moses does is he leaves the tent of meeting one day and he goes up the mountain. Like look out mountain over here. It was probably a bigger mountain than this one. But I would still have a problem getting up there because I'm chubby. But you know, he goes up there, right? And then he goes to the mountain and that same cloud descends on the mountain and that's how they know he's meeting with God I, that is a just a ton of miracles right supernatural things people that we go man if God would just do one of those things today hopefully a lot of people would just be like oh he's he's legit he's real right they would turn from their disbelief and become believers he would just do one or two of those things today and that's what we really think and then Chapter 32 happens. The children of Israel are, are completely wowed by everything going on, right? They've seen all of these miracles that we've just described. And then we're going to see what the children of Israel and Moses does from this point forward. I got five points to the message, and that's really the only note you got tonight are the, are the, the, the points to fill in and the scriptures with them. So point number one. Don't forget God's goodness. Don't forget God's goodness. So with all of the miracles that I just ex explained, fresh in your mind, let's see what happens in Exodus chapter 32, 1 through 6. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down from the mountain where he was meeting with God, they gathered around Aaron, the number two guy. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us up here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold, uh, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron took the gold, melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. When they saw it, they exclaimed, O oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Wait, what? This little calf that he made? This is the one? This is the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt? Aaron saw how excited the people were, 
So he built an altar in front of the calf. He just made it worse. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. My first thought, I don't know about you, but my first thought when I read this, after all of those miracles that they saw, the fact that they would go to Aaron and then ask him, hey man, make us a god. Aaron could have put an end to this, which is a failure of leadership, which is a side note for any leaders in the room. He should have looked at them and said, I don't care what you want. Look at all the things God has just done. We're waiting for that man to come down the mountain. They acted like they didn't even know him, right? Uh, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. Let me put that in today's vernacular. Uh, this dude, Moses, like, we don't know where, where he's at. If he's even still alive, he's come back down here to lead us. Dude, let's go, let's go, let's move. My first thought was, you morons. You idiots. Not y'all, the people of Israel, right? Like, it's like, you guys are dumb. You guys are dumber than dumb. How in the world? You don't have to hunt for the food. You don't have to find a way to trap quail. It's on the ground with heaven's bread right there every morning when you get up, water rolling out of a rock. Y'all are dumb as that rock that the water is rolling out of, right? That y'all are, what is the matter with you? And then as I was kind of in my own heart, kind of having this moment of pointing the finger at the children of Israel, I felt this deep conviction and almost the Holy Spirit whisper to me and say, how many times have you become impatient and try to take things in your own hands? And I thought, Dang it, man, I was talking about Israel. <laughs> and the Lord turned around and got me with it, right? How quickly we can forget what God has done when we face a new obstacle. How many, time, many times we want the Lord to act now. We don't want to wait. And in the ignorant impatience of our own selfishness, we begin to take things into our own hands and look for other ways to accomplish something outside of God's direction. God has maybe provided a job for you. He's provided a home for you. Maybe you were like us, and when we bought this home, we closed in 20 days after not being able to sell a home for almost six months that we were in prior. There was a dozen people who had offers that were all the same price, and the guy just went, I don't know why, but I want to sell it to these people. Maybe you've had a scenario where you haven't had a job like I did for several years ago and where God miraculously provided one for us and our family. Maybe you have been in a scenario where you can look back and go, man, God did this and this and this and this, all of these miracles, and then I run up against a new obstacle and I go, where is he? Why in the world am I sitting here against this obstacle? And then your mind, if it takes a little bit longer than you want, your mind and your heart start to wander to other things, and you start to wonder, did I do the right thing? I mean, I've seen all this stuff, but was it kind of coincidence? I mean, I was going to get it anyway. Did I give God credit for it, and I should have just waited a little bit longer? And then look ahead and think, Maybe it was good this far. Maybe I should just put things in my own hands 
do things my own way because I'm tired of waiting for that dude to come down from the mountain or I'm tired of sitting here waiting for God to give me the next step, the next direction, what his plan is for me. I'm tired of waiting on that. So bump that. I'm going to go and just do whatever I want to do. I'm going to make that way. He must, he must just want me to like figure it out on my own and start trying to carve our own path not out of a love and obedience to God, but out of a selfish ambition to not want to be here anymore. Staying put sometimes is the hardest act of obedience. When God says go, I don't know about you, I'm ready to go. It might take me a minute to go, ooh, really? Yeah, okay, now let's go. I want to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. But for me, and I think for many people, when God says, hey, buddy, park it right here and wait for me to give you the next thing. And if that takes longer than the two weeks I think it should take, then I start getting antsy and trying to find a way to, to go get what I want. In those moments of obstacles, let us not forget what God has done. Would I really do that, Matt? Uh, three million people in one group who physically watched everything we just described happen did it. I guarantee it's a possibility for us. Don't forget what God has done. And if we do, we run the risk of making an exodus or leaving the side of God. Point number two. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Let's read verses, uh, chapter, uh, Exodus 32, verses 7 through 14. The Lord knows what's going on. They built this calf, right? They're all worshiping, doing these pagan sacrifices and things at this altar. Verse 7, the Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. This is hilarious. Your people who you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. You, you ever, uh, parents in the room, uh, uh, let, me sp- let me talk to the moms in the room first. Has your child ever done something that's just so boneheaded that you just look at your husband one day and go, that's your, that's your, your son, that's your child. Hey, my, that's your child. That's kind of what I thought of when I thought about this. Your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Anyway, how quickly they have turned away from the way I've commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf. They have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people who you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven and I will give them all of the land that I have promised to your descendants and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster 
that he threatened to bring on his people. <clears throat> There's in the theological world, and maybe you don't care, but in, in, or for people who walk with the Lord for a long time, there's this question when you get to this passage of Scripture. They say things like, wait a minute, God changed his mind? Like he was going to do this, and then some mere weak created being came to the ultimate, most powerful creator and said, hey, uh, can you just change your mind and do something else? And he talks him out of bringing wrath and judgment on the nation of Israel? What? Wait, what? How does that work? How do you talk? How does, how does this imperfect man talk to a perfect, holy, powerful God and say, hey, I got a better idea than you got? And that's what it seems like on the surface. But I want to simplify the explanation of this down and take, take away looking at it from our Americanized Western culture lens and look at it from the perspective that it was written from. Israel sinned, correct? Right. Israel bowed down to idols that were not God, correct? Yeah. Israel sacrificed and gave credit to this dumb gold calf that Aaron Dwight, Aaron made, right? And gave that stupid made thing the credit that Almighty God deserved for what he did for them. He showed them miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, and they turned their back on him because they wanted something right now, and they sinned, correct? The wages of sin is death. If you sin, it is right and just for God to lead you down to the place of you did the crime, you did the time. You, you turn your back on the Lord, forsake Him, and He has every right in your sin to lead you down to judgment. Is that correct? He does. Enter Moses, who petitioned God who interceded for these people, let me put it in our terms, he prayed, he talked to God and said, you are absolutely 100% right and just to do what you're about to do. You have the right to take these sinful people who have basically spit in your face after everything you have done and bring them to their end. You are right, you are holy, you are just, you are perfect. Yes, you have the right to do that. But I'm asking for grace. I'm asking you that the loving grace that you have be extended to this group of people who deserves what they're about to get from you. I am asking you to give them grace. And God looks at the heart of his servant and he looks at the sin of the people and he says, I'm going to do that. And in either instance, he is perfect and just and holy. And what does this passage tell us? God answers prayer. God answers prayer. He is ready to do the correct thing. 
If your child does something wrong and you're like, all right, bro, I told you not to do that 97 times and you did it in 98, we're going to go back to the room and I'm gonna, uh, there's going to be some punishment here that's going <coughs> to be applied to your backside, right? And then you walk in the room and say, you deserve this, but grace. I am just in carrying out the punishment of your disobedience but I am applying grace. If you know anyone who has walked away from the Lord, if you have a family member, a friend, a relative, an acquaintance at work or school who doesn't know the Lord and you know the way they are living is opposite of how God instructs us to live, how he, it's, in, it's opposite of how Scripture would tell us to live. I would encourage you not to say, Well, they're gone. Just wipe them out, Lord, and start over with me. I would encourage you to follow the lead of Moses and step in and say, God, you are completely right to do all of that. You are completely right to do it to me. But you had grace on me. I will never understand everything that should have been laid on me because of my dumb decisions in my life that I was spared from because my grandparents, my parents, my friends, and my pastors prayed for me. I look at that and I put myself in the same scenario and go, dear God, I was a moron. I was an idiot. I did exactly opposite of the thing that God would want me to do and I knew right and wrong and I still chose wrong. I, there is no way in the world that I have paid the full price for everything that I have done wrong in my life. I got away with some of it and I, I am convinced is because someone knelt down in the darkness of night out of my sight and said, God, give him grace. Why? Because God answers prayer. Um, so, how many of you guys were involved in the, in the, the Christmas choir that we did? <clears throat> Most of you guys in the room. You guys, so you guys are familiar with Tina who came and did the who did the work with the choir, right? She's teaching everybody the parts. Her husband's name's Chip. That's my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law. And they have a little girl named Christiana. And that little girl is like 16 months old, and she's gorgeous and, and smart. Like, I don't understand. Like, she was here the other night and was just talking up a storm. And we were, it was just amazing. Love that little girl. They had a problem um, having a child for almost a decade actually went through a, a, a terrible um, moment of a miscarriage before Christiana was born. And she was born, and the first place when they got out of the hospital, they took that girl, was to Chippy's mother. His name was Fasolo. Took that girl and put her in her grandmother's arms. And um, they were staying here at the time, and so I was like, hey, don't make no stops, bring her here first. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to play the place that she came first, you know? But they didn't listen to me, which was smart. Um, and they went and saw, they went and saw Grandma. 
Um, and a couple months later, Grandma passed away and went to be with the Lord. I was driving in the truck um, away from the hospital with uh, one of the one of her grandkids, my nephew RJ. And I said, "Tell me something about Fasolo, that your, your grandma that you remember." And he said, "Uncle, I'd wake up every night, get a drink of water, go to the bathroom, just roll over. I'd wake up every night and hear that lady." praying for Uncle Chippy and Auntie Tina to have a baby. She did that every night for 10 years. Every night that kid would wake up and hear that woman saying, God, please give them a child. Give me another grandchild. And he allowed her to live long enough to see the fruit of that prayer be in her hand. My friends, God answers prayer. Amen. Number three. This is straight just because I'm, I like humor. This is literally, this point is in here because I think it's funny. Number three, lying makes us look foolish. Moses comes down the, the mountain after meeting with God. He's going to go figure out what happened with this golden calf. Exodus 32, 21 through 24. Finally, he, Moses, turned to Aaron and demanded, What did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Look at this guy's answer. Don't get so upset, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are? They said to me, make us gods who will lead us, so we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off, and they brought it to me. I simply threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. This is the dumbest. And I thought the other answer from the children of Israel was bad, like they wanted to move on. This is just dumb. Lying to cover up sin is never a good look. I wish there'd have been like camera phones back then, so somebody would have took one of a picture of Moses' face when Aaron told him that. It would have been perfect meme material, right? Like people looking at me like, you threw it in the fire. You just out jumped the cat. This is insane. I want to throw you in the fire and see if out pops like a bag of manure because I think that's what's inside of you right now, right? Like this, That's what I think is going to happen. Lying to cover up a sin is never a good look. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know. This is, he's just, he, you've got to look at him and be like, he's got to be rolling his eyes. Bro, that's all you've got? You know what I mean? Come up with a better story next time. Lying to um, cover up a sin is never a good look. That was just a free one in there because I thought it was hilarious. Number four. <clears throat> I won't go without you. I won't go without you. Exodus 33, 1 through 3. Now, Moses, when he walked down and saw everybody, when he saw the nation of Israel, like, worshiping this false calf, he was carrying the Ten Commandments. He was carrying the stone tablets. And when he saw them, he went, ah, and threw those things to the ground and shattered them. After he tells them, you have to repent, and they realize what they've done, he's like, y'all stay here. I'm going to go back up the mountain, and I'm going to go get these instructions from the Lord one more time. He goes back up the mountain, and he talks to the Lord. And look what the Lord says to him. Very interesting. Exodus 33, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses, get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. 
Go up to the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I will give this land to your descendants, and I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites, and the Dustmites. Um, go up to the land. Yeah, comedy. Uh, go up to this land that flows with milk and honey. If the scripture stopped right there, they could do like a little happy dance. We have messed up. We have been horrible. We have turned our back on God. And here he is deciding to still give us the promised land. He's going to let us go into Canaan, the land that's flowing with milk and honey. And not only that, he is going to go and kick out all the people ahead of us who are living there. He's going to remove them so that I can get the promise, what he promised me. That's awesome. People could cheer and be like, yay, God is good. End of story. But there's a wrinkle. Go up to the land that flows with milk and honey. This is God talking to him. But I will not be traveling with you. For you're a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. God is keeping his word to give the land of Canaan to the descendants of Abraham, his son Isaac, and his grandson Jacob. He's keeping his word to say, I'm giving you what I promised. I'm going to do what I said. You are going to get the thing that you're after. But because of the rebellion and wickedness in your heart, I'm not going with you. Moses goes back and tells the people this and they are beside themselves. Moses, it says that he took that calf that was made out of gold. He burned it and melted it down and crushed it into powder. He poured it in a bucket of water and then took cups of water and handed it to every one of those people who knelt down in front of it and said, drink up, buddy. Take into you the thing that you have just been trying to worship. He goes back and tells them all of this and they're beside themselves. What do we do? And Moses has another conversation with the Lord and that is summed up, summed up in the first part of Exodus thirty-three, fifteen. He says this. Moses said, if you, God, don't personally go with us, then don't make us leave this place. The children of Israel were so concerned about getting the thing that they wanted that their heart left the one who had given it to them. They so wanted the promise to move on. Let's get in there. Let's get to this land of flowing milk and honey. Let's get to this place. It's going to be this, this, this land that's going to be ours forever that God has promised us. And they were willing to walk away from the God who gave it to them and progress. But Moses steps in and says, wait, you're going to give us the thing that you promised, but you're not going to be there? I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Is the Lord more important to you than what he does? Is the relationship and love 
and admiration for God? Does the heart inside of us beat for God? Or are we only doing this checklist of things because we want what he's going to give us? There are many people, if they're honest, and I'm not saying they're in this room, but there are many people who call themselves Christians who would undoubtedly be like, I can get the stuff, right? I mean, he'll come later. Right? He'll be there. He's really not going to just leave us out there with the stuff, right? Man, I really want that. I really want to go get the prom- what I've been promised. I really want the promised land. And their hearts are with the created more than they beat with love for the creator. When we look at the Lord and say, I'm not going without you, we're revealing that our heart has prioritized him over anything that he can do for us. I just want a good life. Really? What if uh, that life ends in an eternity away from him? I just want God to bless my business. Really? What if that business divides your attention and your affection away from the creator? I just want to be healthy. Great. What if that health makes you self-reliant and self-dependent to the point where we take our affection away from God and think that we have accomplished it ourselves? I just want my kids to be safe. Great. Yeah, that's a cry of every parent, right? What if that pursuit of safety means they never fulfill their God-given purpose? Our chief affection, the beat of our heart, has to be for Him first before anything that we want, because anything that we want is temporary, and He is eternal. And the only way we experience the eternal blessing with him is that we remain with him. I had to ask myself getting ready for this message, is my heart like that? Is my heart Is my affection, is my love, is my want for him, is he the prize? Because there are moments in my life where I can look back and go, he wasn't. I can look back and go, I really wanted the music. I really wanted the recognition. I really wanted the applause. I really did. And even when you get that in a little taste, feels good for about five seconds, and you turn around and go, empty. Ask anyone who has hit the pinnacle of success without the Lord, and then who turned to find him and say, he's so much better. 
if he remains the principal focus of our affection and we go to him and he is our prize and our heart remains with him and we say, I'm not going, I don't want the stuff if you don't go with me. If we do that, what we're going to find is that in some way, shape or form, he's going to walk with us forward and give us stuff that we can never dream. Does that mean my house going to be bigger? Nope. It'll be the one that he has designed for you. Does that mean that my business is going to be rocking and I'm going to be the mo- I'm going to be on the Forbes, you know, top 500? Nope. That means you're going to accomplish the purpose he's laid out for you. And all of those things. Let me go back and say it to your churchy way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all that stuff will be added into you. And when you get the stuff, it'll be nice, but you'll go, it compares nothing to the one who gave it to me. Our affection has to be with him. I'm not going without him. Number five. This one just is, I still can't get my head around it. God calls us friends. God calls us friend. Exodus 33, verse 11. Look what happens here. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. The bonus for us today is we don't have to set up a physical tent of meeting in the backyard and go one at a time to try to meet with the Lord because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to rest and reside and live inside of you. So the relationship that Moses had to walk out to that tent and wait for the cloud to descend and everybody stand in awe because only one person got to experience that at that moment, that is all gone. That is an old system. You don't need me to hear from God, although God can use the teaching of his word to show to, to tell you things, but you have to have your own personal relationship with God, because why? The spirit of God lives inside of you. He didn't come on me, and then I have to come tell you what he said. There are moments where God's going to give me messages to deliver, and hopefully that happens every week, and he uses his word to teach you something that you need that will change your life forever because we're preaching his word but you can go directly to him you can talk to him and guess what the greatest way to talk to him is like a friend <clears throat> i heard somebody say this one time and i went whatever and then as a more and more it sat with me it was convicting any relationship that you read of in the bible that someone has with god you can have to. And I thought about that for a second. I'm like, well, that's crazy. I ain't Paul. I wasn't riding down the road and I knocked off a horse and blind for three days and somebody prayed for me and I could see and I was called through. No. But that wasn't what he was saying. He was reminding us that God's no respecter of persons. 
and that the relationships that with God that have been exampled for us in Scripture are available for every single one of us to have. Well, Matt, that's the Old Testament. You talk to all of us all the time about context and that, you know, just because it's in there doesn't mean it really applies to me. It could be just for that specific moment. And, you know, you're right, exactly. And I'm glad you're thinking that way. How do we know? How do we know that we can talk to God as Gentile believers sitting in this room together as he's our friend? John chapter 15, verses 13 through 15. This is Jesus talking to his disciples and followers. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father has told me. Israel Houghton for years sang a song called I Am a Friend of God. And I would sing that and be like, yeah, that's, that's nifty. And that song played over in my head as I was writing this last thing down. And I thought, this is my friend. How do you talk to your friend today? Think about it, how you have a discussion with someone who you are in a comfortable, knowing, familiar relationship with today. You have the ability to talk to God that same way. I was in ministry school, my first year of ministry school, and I, I saw a pastor um, who was in this, you know, this, at this event we were at, and he, he was talking to us afterwards, and he's like, you guys got any questions, or what are you like looking forward to? Are you asking you know, God to do something big in your life? I said, yeah. He goes, what are you asking for? And I said, it look, I've been watching you for a little while. I told him, I said, it looks like you have a pretty like, close relationship with the Lord, like how you talk about him and how you, when you pray. It was just something out of it that made me go, this guy knows the Lord. You know what I mean? You just get that sense when some people talk about him. And I said, I want, and he was probably in his mid-50s, and I said, um, I want the relationship with you have that you have with the Lord. He goes, great. And I'm like, at the end of this year. And he kind of chuckled. And I said, um, what's funny? You told me if I was asking big, I'm asking big, man. I want that kind of relationship with God at the end of the year. The end of my little, you know, my first ministry year in ministry school. And he said, um, uh, that type of relationship is available for you. You can have it. But it's going to require you to walk with the Lord closely and through some things. Because in that fire, there is a depth of relationship that happens that is not just for the casual person. I wish he was lying but he wasn't. That intimacy comes with a price. Walking with the Lord consistently through life's issues, trusting Him, making mistakes, finding grace, and receiving it from the Lord. Kind of like how you build a friendship. 
couple weeks ago, we had a, a, I told you guys last week, we had a funeral and a bunch of our friends came in from out of town. And we had been through so much with those friends in our own personal life that when they walk in the room, even though we haven't seen them for probably 12, 18, 24 months, the, it's like the relationship never stopped. Got friends like that? You walk in the room, it didn't matter if you've seen them for a week or a month or two months, you look at them and go, hey, what's up? And you just pick right back up where you go. Oh, that's a level of intimacy that is available to every person with the Lord. He wants to be my friend. There are moments where I would pray and I would ask God, I would go to God and I would do things like this, and maybe you're not like me, maybe you're perfect. <laughs> but um, uh, I'm just messing. I, I went, I would go to my prayer time and I would say, Lord, I had a terrible day today. This was nuts. This was bad. This went wrong. This was crazy. I, I messed up on this at work or whatever. And then in the middle of my prayer, I would feel this thing and I would just kind of go, but I know you've already seen it. And I would almost answer myself for God. Like, what I like. I think he wants to tell me this and I want to show him that I know what he would say to me. So I'm going to just push through it. I'm going to worship you anyway. And thank you, Lord. And I kind of leave. And in those moments, my prayer became a monologue. But that's not what prayer is. It's not how I talk to my friend. I walk in the room and say, today Almost didn't make it today. Took a toll. And then sit there and listen to the perfect father, the perfect friend, respond to you through his word, through his peace, his provision through his voice to you and say I've seen it all and I know the end from the beginning just stay with me he's our friend so I told you at the end of the message which is now um, I would tell you the title of the message is the exodus of exodus exodus means to leave What I want to encourage you and implore you and direct you and lead you to do if I can. Everybody in this room, everybody a part of RCC, my family and, and this church first and foremost. And then everybody else who is in the body of Christ that would listen and want to follow along as well. Is this. I want to have an exodus. I want to leave from the idea I want to have an exodus from the idea that when stuff got tough or I had to wait or things did not go my way or I am uh, uh, he, I can have stuff without him I want to leave the idea that I would leave him I want to have an exodus of the idea of an exodus from him I want to leave the leaving idea <clears throat> because if I ride with him the whole way, I'm riding with the creator, the one who's all-knowing and all-powerful 
who will direct my steps according to my purpose. I hope there is never an obstacle. Let me back up. I pray. There is never an obstacle or a hard time or a hurt or a wound or a frustration or any scenario in your life that would ever arise that would push the idea up of I'm done with God. My prayer is that you are so close to him as a friend that in those hard times is like, this is the time I need it the most. And in the victory, celebrating the one who has loved me through the hard times and brought me to the good times and in celebration or sorrow, in joy or sadness, at the top of the mountain or the valley, I want to be by his side. And what I'm imploring you and the message that I'm delivering and dropping off to you today is this. Don't leave his side. Don't go without him. Let him be the, the prize. Let your affection be for him. Put your affections on the things above, not on the things of this world. Leave those things alone. And let it reside have an exodus, a mass exodus from the idea that we would ever leave.